In this week's update, my 2024 outlook and the likely path, and why that should not be cast in stone. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is General Advice Only, and please remember to like and subscribe to the video. All right, let's have a little bit of gazing down the, the runway of 2024. I think overall, it's fair enough to say that we're back to a set of circumstances which could be described as pretty ideal, not too hot, not too cold. And that comes as a result of the Fed seemingly pulling off the impossible, and that is getting inflation to come back down significantly. And, and it's not just America, it's, it's around the world. In fact, Australia, really, the inflation rate here stands out well above the majority of the rest of the developed world. So um, shame on us. But inflation would appear to be very much under control. Interest rates are now coming down, and we'll probably see some interest rate cuts in 2024. That's at least the expectation in America. And all of that has been achieved without bringing on a recession, which would have normally been expected to happen at the turn of, you know, we had 40 years of falling interest rates and benign inflation. And we've had a, a major turnaround from that four decade trend into something different. So to have pulled that off without causing a recession is a pretty amazing situation. And just recent data in the last couple of days from America with the jobs report showed that things are still economically, are still ticking along quite nicely. So it really is unexpected, but hey, we'll take it. It looks a good setup for 2024. And I guess the key thing that comes from that is that sentiment is now positive and that's going to keep moving markets higher. So I think you, you don't need to be a genius to make that call for 2024. I think that overall we should be positive. And for me, what that means is, because I only deal in a very small sliver of the market, I'm a stock picker, I look for sectors that have got unquestionable tailwinds. And so I'm interested in what sentiment is doing because the stocks that are justified to rise We'll be able to do so because there is no sentiment headwind. You know, people aren't fearful about what the market might do. So I think there are a couple of things that are highly, highly likely in 2024. So if, if you're good at stock picking and, and good at staying the journey, then there's every reason why you can have a, a very good year. Now, there are numerous highly positive tailwinds. You know, we don't have a shortage of sectors that definitely do have that. In technology, of course, we've got artificial intelligence. We've got the incredible growth of data centers to support the exponential explosion of data that's being generated. And part of that is the semiconductor industry. Now, there are other parts as well, but they're just some of the real obvious ones in big tech. But just be careful because you can't wander into these sectors any old time. Right now, the Magnificent Seven, you'd have to say, are over, overbought and overvalued. So you've got to be a bit more clever about the way that you get into these stocks. Medical technology in America and in Australia offers some wonderful opportunities. There are numerous niche industrials, some of which we are in, that have got big moats for varying reasons. They're businesses that are, to a degree, going in different directions, but they all share 
the common attribute, and that is they've got a terrific outlook, they've got a long runway for growth, and it's highly probable that they're going to make it. Uranium is another one that looks, you know, really fulfilling the promise that it's been showing for several years. Oil and gas, I've been talking about this now for, for a couple of years, the underinvestment, the chronic underinvestment over the last decade, for reasons that everybody knows, should start to manifest itself in better prices for oil and gas stocks. And then, of course, we've got the full array of critical minerals, lithium, copper, etc. Graphite. So they're just some of the areas where there are unquestionably positive tailwinds. What are the risks to that view? Well, geopolitical events, and there's plenty of them, could disrupt the market sentiment and cause undue conflict. So you'd need to be careful about that. But generally, geopolitical events don't change the big picture trends of the market. They just cause short-term disruptions to those trends. And then, of course, we've got the natural dynamics of the markets that over the last decade and a half have been increasingly stressed and stretched by the extremes of debt and leverage that's in the system. And that has a habit of popping out at unexpected times and causing disruptions. Why you shouldn't bank on a particular view, I really caution strongly against getting a strong view in your mind that certain things are going to happen and just sticking blindly to it. Doing all the research yourself and doing it properly is a full-time job. You can always do it in some fashion or other, but will the answer you get be valid? I've been talking about this over the last four or five weeks. The data has to be viewed in the proper context. Will you fully understand the environment that a company operates in well enough to make your research valid and give you correct answers or answers that are good enough? And also, will you be alert to the genuine shifts in the market that will occur for the reasons that I just mentioned, the geopolitical things, etc.? So there are things that change in the market that you need to respond to. I'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. And then there are many other things, in fact, most things, which are just market noise and you could ignore them. And so it's the ability to decipher between those two things at the time, you know, not be wise six months in arrears looking back, you know, that's really easy. So doing your own research and selection is not a simple, quick task. And that's why... During December, I went into detail to outline what it is that we do in the Insiders Club for that very reason. Because some people are out there trying to do their own research and they actually don't understand that they're not doing it well enough to get the correct answers. Now, that two-month discounted offer, which uh, includes a couple of months at a discount rate, is still available but it will have to be closed and closed very soon because I'm just frankly running out of capacity to conduct the one-on-one -on -one calls, which form part of the offer. Those calls I see as essential because it helps get investors started on the right track and give them the greatest chance of success. So look, perhaps it might be another week or so that that offer will be available, but then that'll be it. There is a link to join in the description below for anyone that's interested.
So why shouldn't you bank on a defined view? Well, obviously some circumstances will change and some circumstances will change a lot. The key is understanding what are the important ones. What are the ones that you've got to respond to and respond to quickly? Smart investors, the successful investors, they don't get locked into a particular view. They're flexible. They've got a clear view of what they want their portfolio composition to look like, but they're prepared to shift. They're prepared to take some profit, increase cash levels at the appropriate time, whatever is required. Now, this process is made easier by astute stock selection. And by that, I mean stocks that will grow their earnings and their top line pretty much no matter what. And that's what the market rewards in the share price, the stocks that are going to continue to grow. So that's the overall perspective that I've got for 2024 and the advice that I would provide to investors out there. And just on the point of being flexible, throughout 2021, in fact, 90% of the time I'm bullish. And if you've been listening to these videos, which I've been doing for a long, long time, the vast majority of the time I'm bullish. And that's justified because the market circumstances tend to be that way more than bearish. And leading into the end of 2021, I was still bullish. But in early December of 2021, things changed and I made that call. And this is a screenshot of the Sunday video that we did on that day on December 5. So just as a single way of looking at this, let's look at the ASX 200. Not that I pay much attention to what the ASX 200 is doing. I'm far more focused uh, on the US indices, but this is the big decline with COVID in February and March of 2020. And then we got a staggering return, staggering rally. I was bullish throughout 2021 until we got to here. And then a couple of things changed. The Fed shifted policy was one thing. Secondly, the market character started changing. The internal money flows started changing the low quality end of the market started selling off and it was quite abrupt. It's not that evident here. So this is the, the week of the 5th of December. It's not that evident here on the ASX 200, but it was certainly very evident in the US. And what I said was that we needed to make a shift. You needed to be very clear what you want your portfolio to look like, but raising cash levels and moving to a much more cautious stance was well and truly warranted. And as it turned out, our market then fell from around the 7,250 level, and we got down as far as 6,000, under 6,500. And, and many stocks, of course, fell a lot, lot worse than that. And in the Australian index context, it brought in a period that we still have failed to break out from. So we're, we're still struggling to get through the level that was set in August of 2021. So really important to remain flexible in your thinking and adjust to change as it occurs. So that's my sermon for the day. But look, I, I think you'll find that it's pretty good advice. Looking at American stocks, S&P fell 1.4% across the week. Major resistance really killed the surge. And I talked about that in the, the last Sunday video because 
we had a strong run up leading into almost to the end of 2023. And it was just in the last couple of hours that selling emerged in the US market. The market was overbought. It was overvalued in, in many areas. And so no prizes for indicating that we might get a pullback in the first week of January. And that's exactly what we got. It doesn't change the big picture trends. In fact, there's also some evidence really in the last couple of days that the US market is starting to stabilize. So as you'll see on the chart in a minute, we were well and truly extended. The market had been going higher for nine weeks in a row, needed a rest. And we've got, we got a rest. So this opportunity or this adjustment is, I see as an opportunity and unless circumstances change. I think most little sell-off periods should be seen as an opportunity in 2024. Now, that's not to say that we don't get some significant geopolitical event or some policy error by the Fed or whatever that changes the environment. But leaving those things aside, I think small adjustments in the market are going to be good buying opportunities. The US dollar index lifted a bit on Friday with the jobs report. We saw the dollar lift to 102 and a bit. The yield jumped up from around 3.85 to 4.05. So it was up about 0.2 to reflect that. And that's why the dollar went up. The VIX also went up from 12 and a half to 13 and a half. But these are all minor moves. And the 10 year, two year spread stayed steady at negative 0.35. So let's have a look at the S&P. Firstly, the big picture. We're in a secular bull market that started in 2013 when we broke out from this uh, lengthy period, 13 years of essentially sideways that contained some very significant bear markets, cyclical bear markets, cyclical bull market, another cyclical bear market, another bull market, and then finally a breakout. And as opposed to this period, where we didn't form higher highs in this period from 2013, that's what we've got. We've got higher highs and we're still moving nicely higher. So that's the big picture. Looking at the week, right into the end of um, 2023, looked very, very positive until the Friday. A few people were getting quick off the mark and doing a bit of selling. That selling followed through on. Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And then we got some stabilization, both at the index level and also at the individual stock level as well. Now, if we look at where the internal money flows went, the NASDAQ versus the S&P, well, the NASDAQ was sold off more heavily than the S&P. I think the S&P was down around one and a half. The NASDAQ was down around three and a half. So we did get a bit of an adjustment here, but clearly the trend is still up. If we look at semiconductors, the same thing. Semiconductors did sell off a little bit, but certainly picked up Friday. So unquestionably, semiconductors still rising versus the S&P, and that's always a good positive for the market. Not really much change here in the order, uh, other than we saw consumer discretionary sell off. But as I've regularly pointed out, Consumer discretionary is dominated. 40% of the index is Amazon and Tesla. They were too overbought 
and overvalued stocks. And so they were sold down heavily and that dragged down consumer discretionary. But other than that, no real change. Um, and if we look at the last quarter in Australia, uh, we saw some hefty selling in materials last week. Uh, small caps also copped a bit as well. And so did information technology. So that went down in conjunction with the US. So no real surprises there in where the money flows went in the Australian market. So just to summarize, 66.5 was where our dollar finished, 1.35% um, down across the week. I suspect we may, we may start in the positive. I wouldn't be at all surprised on Monday. I think it's going to be a strong year for quality small caps. What does that mean? And I, again, I've covered this on repeated occasions over the years. These are some of the key factors. It's not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the key things. Management, which good management is essential. They're always good capital allocators generally, and particularly if they've got skin in the game. Uh, I love companies where, the, where they're still founder-led, where the founder has still got a very significant interest in the company. You just find that capital allocation decisions get made um, much more effectively. Return on equity, tracking the trends in return on equity is, is an indicator of how good management is. So that's one aspect. Another aspect is growth in the, in the top line and particularly the bottom line of earnings, the level of free cash flow that the company is generating. Whether they've got pricing power or not, well, let me put that another way. It's essential these days for companies to have pricing power, in my view. They also need to be tapped into a market that's expanding and a market where they've got, through whatever means, an economic moat, a set of circumstances that make it difficult or more difficult for competition to muscle in on their market share. So they're all the, the really important things to look for. And I think we've had uh, multiple years where quality small caps have underperformed compared to large caps. And I think it's, it's high time that we saw an adjustment. In. And the, not the majority, but certainly we've got a liberal um, smattering of these sort of quality small caps in the Insiders Club uh, port, core portfolios. So I'm expecting very good things from, from those this year. And they, and they, in fact, started delivering last year. Turning now to precious metals, gold, uh, 2045, down a little bit. Um, the fundamental setup for gold is about as good as it gets. That's from a fundamental point of view. Now, you'll know that I'm, I'm cautious on the gold price. I find it hard to get confident about where the gold price is going because it's such a manipulated commodity. We've got interest rates falling. That's always good for gold because gold doesn't have a yield. So a lower, a lower cash rate, a lower bond yield is good for gold. We've also got central bank buying at record levels. And it would appear that at least part of that demand could be part of a secular trend. In other words, countries trading with each other and settling in gold rather than trading in US dollars. There are many countries around the world that would, that would like to be not transacting in US dollars. So it's quite likely that we're at the start of a, of a long-term secular 
trend with central banks. And then, of course, on top of that, we've got, there's no question we've got a debt crisis. It's just getting worse and worse. No one seems to have the political will to address it. And at some point, it's going to come and bite us. But whether that's this year, next year, or, or 10 years' time, who knows. But the environment for gold really is very, very good. But that doesn't mean it will go up. And logic has a very bad track record at timing entries and exits. So you shouldn't take what I've just said above as you know, a bit of a tick to go and buy into gold because it still may remain where it is, um, contained below that $2,100 level. If we translate that to Australian dollars, 3076 is how we finish the weeks, still profitable for Australian gold producers. GDXJ, the global uh, index for uh, significant gold miners, just continued sideways. Um, pretty boring. Let's have a look at that gold. Is gold on a daily chart? Sold off on um, Tuesday and Wednesday, steadied and rose a little bit on Thursday and a bit of a wild ride on Friday, a bit all over the place. I suspect that liquidity is, is not back to normal yet and closed uh, up a little bit slightly on the day, but down on the week. Yeah, so if we look at that on a weekly chart. So this is the, the all-time highs formed in August of 2020, March of 2022, May of 2023. And then of course, when we had that erratic spike in December, and now we're back knocking on the door again. If you look at the chart and clear everything else out of your mind, and you know, I've I'll put my head up and say, I've got a bias and I don't trust the gold price because it's let me down so many times. But if I clear that out of my mind and just look at the chart, it, it just it looks to me like it's about to break out. Now, that is not a prediction, I can assure you. But just on the chart with higher highs and higher lows, it looks like it's really knocking on the door to break out. So we will see. Turning now to other commodities, copper not doing much, 380. Nickel continuing to slide. It's almost down to $7 now. So things not great in the nickel space. Crude oil, though, was up to uh, 74. And as I've been saying for a couple of years, we've got a long term structural deficit building. It hasn't gone away. We've got some short term, short to medium term factors that have constrained. The oil price, one of which is uh, around the, the U.S. the release of uh, oil from the U.S. Strategic Reserve, to, uh, that pushed prices down. That's still having, a, to a degree, a bit of an impact on on the price. But the long term, we've, we're going to have a structural deficit. Demand is not falling anywhere near the rate that um, that most um, people would like that are keen on, on doing something about uh, climate change. So, you know, and there's things like um, fertilizer production. Where, where's that going to come from if there isn't any oil produced? So the ability to grow food, uh, the, the uh, ability to produce plastics, which a lot of people would like to eliminate also, but 
you know, that's a transition that's going to take a long period of time. So the, there will remain a structural deficit for quite a period of time and coupled with long-term underinvestment, oil prices should remain pretty buoyant and that should be good for the profitability of oil stocks. Let's look at, um, at a couple of others, uh, lithium and uranium. The perspective for lithium for 2024, I don't know about timing on, on lithium. Uh, I'm, I'm hardly calling a, a resurgence uh, in the lithium chemical prices and therefore lithium stocks, but it wouldn't surprise me for it to start at any time. The reasons are that new mines always, or let me, let me go back one, there is still an enormous amount of bearish forecasting, bearish sentiment and bearish uh, commentary. In fact, sentiment is getting so bearish now that I reckon we, we're somewhere near the bottom. But the reality is that new mines always take far longer to come to production than expected. And that's just not being factored in. The people that are making these lithium price forecasts are just adding up all of the mines under development and saying, well, that's going to be the supply. Well, that's just crazy. It's, it just doesn't work that way. So new mines are going to take longer. The low prices that are currently uh, being traded at for both spodumene and lithium chemicals are inhibiting the ability of these developers to get funding to develop their projects. So again, another reason why supply is just not going to come on in the way that the, the back of the envelope calculations would indicate. Next, some producers, both within China and, ex and outside of China, are losing money at these levels. So what are they going to do? Inevitably, they're going to reduce production. They're going to reduce supply. And we saw uh, Core Lithium, which is a you know relatively new mine in the Northern Territory, we came on, on stream with huge price momentum and a lot of fanfare. They've now stopped mining. Extraordinary. Probably only 12 months after they started. So things have changed very significantly and there's a lot of factors that are going to reduce supply and that's just not being factored in in these forecasts. So it's just complete folly to add up all the development underway and say that is going to be the supply in 2025 because it's just not going to happen. So just be alert to maximum pessimism. If we're not there yet, we're not far away because it's, it's pretty, pretty rugged out there in terms of sediment. And there are very, very good businesses and the long-term outlook for lithium is still as strong as ever. So there will be some very um, concerted rebounds. The other commodity that's, of course, really interesting is uranium. I turned bullish on uranium for fundamental reasons in 2019. It took until 2022, 23 for things to really start to, to move. So I was way early. It's another great lesson in don't be too driven by the fundamental logic because it, it's often very bad in terms of timing. It took uranium three years longer than I thought it would to gain some momentum. But we've now reached a situation, the uranium market has been in deficit now for quite a number of years, but they've had other sources, the stockpiles have gone. And so we're now in significant deficit 
and the stockpiles aren't there to make up the gap. And as a result, the price has moved from, gosh, it was down, was down under $20 a pound uh, only a couple of years ago, and now we're knocking on the door of $100 a pound. The deficits are expected to reduce marginally until 2027. The deficits will remain, but they won't be as, quite as large as they are now. So some additional supply will come on. Mines that have been put on care and maintenance will get switched back on. So there will be an increase in supply. And we have got some new players like Paladin and Boss Energy in Australia that will, um, that will start putting supply into the market. So the deficit is expected to reduce, but remain a deficit until 2027 when it is expected to then uh, widen sharply and continue that way over the next uh, decade or two. So the long-term outlook for uranium really is pretty good. Um, the utilities think in decade-long terms, and they must have decade-long supply commitments. And they're finally, after a long period of time, they're finally you know, coming to the table and writing new contracts at levels that are much higher than the old contracts. The old contracts that where companies were losing money, and that's why they put their minds on care and maintenance. All right, wrapping things up, final thoughts. 2024 is potentially an absolutely cracking year, I think, if you do things well. Returns can be well above average, but they're never easy in achieving. You've got to do a lot of things right. It requires a great deal of work. It requires clear thinking and certainly discipline because the market will throw all sorts of things at you. And unless you are across the market, unless you're immersed in the market, as I am, it's really difficult to retain an accurate perspective when things get pretty volatile. To me, thinking that you're doing it properly, so you're, you know, you're devoting some time, you maybe spend an hour or two a day, and you're doing your research, and you think you're doing a good job, but I think in many cases it's worse than not doing it at all because you end up with, with wrong answers, and even worse, you don't know that they're the wrong answers. And so you've proceeded on the basis that your analysis is valid. And I know with talking to some of the new members that have just joined in the last few weeks, that they honestly regret the opportunities that they missed through 2022 and 2023. That's a theme that's come through very clearly from the people that I've spoken to. And they've come to the realization that they just need some input from an external source. So this is the final call for the Insiders Club offer. I would expect we're going to close it quite possibly in the next week because I just don't, I just don't have the capacity to continue at the rate of inducting new members. And one thing that's really important to me is that new members are inducted properly and effectively. So that's, that's where we sit with the Insiders Club offer. Portfolio analysts last week, there were three investment stroke trading opportunities in Australia and the US, depending on how you want to do things. You can either invest in them long-term or trade them. Either which way, I think there's some good opportunities there. That's it for this rundown. There's more information on the website. There's my email address. I'll be back with you next Sunday. Cheers.